Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People this week, what you put online stays online. I don't think he's fit to be an MP at all. Does anybody know what's going on with Brexit? Can the Prime Minister please explain how it's possible to have a meaningful vote on something that's already taken place? And have the Tories gone full 1984? I had to check up that it was true because it seemed to me to be such an extraordinary example of outrageous and foolish behaviour. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by Tide, the nimble small business banking service. More of that later on. Joining me this week, we have Ned Simons. Hello, Ned. Hello. We have Mr. Paul War. Hello, hello. Mr. Paul War. Hello, hello, hello. And we have Kate Forrest. How are you, Kate? I've got hiccups, I think. Which okay. is a problem. Yep. But it'll be fine. Yeah. Crack on. Okay. Yeah. Good. Professional, <laughs> I think. Remember the start of today program like that. I don't have hiccups. No, so. Paul, what's your no your hiccup, digestive situation? Digestion at the moment. Good. No, no, no. Okay. Should we crack on with it? Yep. Okay. Lovely. Uh, Labour MP Jared O'Mara has been suspended from the party this week after he was revealed to have posted homophobic and sexist comments online. The Sheffield Hallam MP who ousted Nick Clegg at the snap election also faces claims he called a constituent an ugly bitch just months before the vote. Uh, Justin Greening wrote to Jeremy Corbyn to ask whether he would remove the whip from O'Mara. O'Mara himself said he was deeply ashamed after the comments he posted online were an unearthed by Guido Fawkes. The Yorkshire Post has on Thursday posted an editorial saying that if O'Mara can't explain himself, he should quit as an MP. The paper also points out that O'Mara has a very negligible parliamentary record to date and of June's newly elected MPs only two still have to make a maiden speech one of them being Mr O'Mara now here's a clip of Sophie Evans a woman from Sheffield who claims O'Mara called her an ugly bitch during a row at a nightclub she was talking to Kay Burley on Sky News I think he's proved that he's not fit to be an MP I, I just don't think he has a clue what he's doing I don't think these are my opinions I've said them before I don't think he's fit to be an MP at all. And what would you say as a result to Mr Corbyn then, who, you know, I suppose has to look at making those decisions along with the chairman of the party in Sheffield Hallam? I think Jared O'Mara is embarrassing the Labour Party and I think Jeremy Corbyn should uh, really consider that. She's clear that he, he should go. Um, I mean, let's first of all talk about some of the things that he said. He made, he called gay people fudge packers and poofters. He talked about Morris's sexuality with sort of, sort of derogatory comments. I perhaps won't repeat. He said that Jamie Cullum should be sodomised to death. He called for he wanted to have an orgy with girls allowed. All this kind of stuff. Um, he then blamed it on the prevailing culture in school and people he was hanging out with at football in his early twenties. Ned, does that excuse these kind of comments? Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. I think people who said something like that in the past. Um, have to be given a chance to show they've changed their mind. I think if you never let people 
who were homophobic become not homophobic, then you're just stuck. You're just stuck in a situation where no one can then, you know, change their mind. You have a, a better society. So I think people have to be given a chance to prove they've changed. So I think in that sense, that's okay. But it's quite hard because he wasn't a young kid. He wasn't a teenager. He was an adult. You know, and there's, there's a lot of people in their 20s who never made a homophobic comment and they're not MPs. So it's pretty, it's pretty difficult to uh, to excuse when you're in your 20s. You're not a child. Yeah, he was 21. Like, you know, he said that. I did, you know, talking to you, Ned, before this, you know, as someone who, you know, you are gay. So I just wanted to ask you, you know, did you experience this kind of language yourself growing up? And you see people now and you think they have changed. What's your... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's personal experience. You can, you know, loads of people at school, people kind of use the word gay as an insult without really thinking about it. They don't really necessarily realize what it means as an insult. I mean, I'm sure there'd be examples of me using that word as an insult when I was a kid, even though I am gay, because that's how how much a kind of culture is um, of that language. So I think, like I said, you have to give people a chance to change as they grow up and realize what those kind of things mean, how hurtful they are and how offensive they are. But he wasn't a child. Yeah, I think it's true that Labour, of all parties, obviously, is willing, it's based on the idea of a second chance. You know, that's the whole point of Labour's philosophy. Everyone's got a chance to make mistakes and then rehabilitate themselves. Everyone's got a second chance, even third chances. The problem with him is he's had fourth, fifth, mm. sixth, seventh, ninth, tenth chances, and it looks like it more of a pattern of behaviour rather than sort of youthful indiscretion or, yeah, it's true, you know, that lad culture is prevalent, he might have been part of it, that's fine. But at the age of 21, you would have thought you'd grown up a bit by then and you know as we were pointing out this week only this week after PMQs to to a senior Labour spokesman you know Mari Black was an MP at the age of 20 um, so somehow we weren't suddenly saying that anything she said in House of Commons could be put down to sort of youth, youthful indiscretion some, maybe some maybe she matured faster than Jared O'Mara but um, what was curious is Labour's defence on this was the reason he was suspended was because of what he said in 2009. He wasn't suspended what he said in 2002 when he was 21. He was suspended for something he said when he was 28. And we asked, you know, the Labour people, well, what's the big difference there then? And we said, well, he was significantly older, was the line we were given. It just doesn't hold water, I just don't buy that. The difference between being 21 and 29. What is, okay, we're 25, 24, 26? What's the cutoff? Where is it? When when are you allowed to be a horrible horrible misogynist and homophobe? Yeah. Is it permissible up to a particular age? It was bizarre. I mean, and and if you look through the remarks you were just referring to, I went through them. You know, in 2002, he talked about fudge packers and fatties. That was when he was 21. Um, In 2004, then he talked about... um, the, the the sexy little slags and in an Arctic Monkey review, and that was deemed not worth worthy of suspension. Then he talks about in another review in two thousand nine when he's twenty eight, and he talks about this phrase: the Arctic Monkeys being tighter than your than your mother, um, to put it that way, within the family blog show. Um, and you, suddenly that is deemed worthy of suspension, and it just looks really strange. It looks and sounds like a party trying its best not to kick out somebody, one of their own. Someone, particularly, by one of their own, I mean someone who's loyal to Jeremy Corbyn. And there's an interesting point here about the selection of Labour candidates. And a while ago I interviewed a member of the NEC who said that they didn't have the kind of quality of candidates they wanted at the election because it was called so quickly. So they had to kind of quickly select people. But I think what she meant was we didn't get to select enough Corbynista candidates and too many moderates got in because we didn't have time to properly vet them. But it's actually happened the other way around because they didn't vet um, Omara enough. A Corbynista candidate is the one that's causing problems. Yeah, I mean, I think we've covered all the main points, but there's nobody in their 20s and 30s really who 
hasn't looked at like a Facebook memory and gone, oh my God, like, why did I say that? This is a different thing entirely. It's, it's unacceptable. The things that he said are, are just awful, quite frankly. And I know you said, um, still seems to be a bit, bit of mixed opinion. You mentioned about um, Yorkshire Post editorial. Yeah. Sheffield Star did one yesterday. Um, their editor's comment was saying, don't resign, be a positive force for the city instead. I've not read the whole piece, but that was their splash. I mean, I mean, he, he he gave an interview in the midst of all this coming out, and he made this, and the point was put to him, you know, what are you going to resign as an MP? And he made this comment, which I think made everything a little bit worse, which was, uh, if a Conservative MP had made similar comments, I'd say it depends on what journey they'd been on since. If they'd honestly changed and believed in equality and egalitarianism, then absolutely they were placed in Parliament. But the very culture of conservatism doesn't foster that equality. I mean, talk about, you know, try and have it both ways here. Digging your own grave. I mean, he said basically a Tory should resign over this because by definition they would think they're worse. They're not going to change, right? Mm. But then... Which in a way is what Paul was saying earlier on, because the Tories don't believe in second chances, I guess. Well, no, that's that's Labour's implication. Obviously, lots of Tories found that deeply offensive. Never mind plenty of out gay Tory MPs who find a lot of this very offensive. Uh, And they just think it smacks of hypocrisy. It's classic left-wing hypocrisy, you know. Um, do as I, I say, not as I do. And I think the, the other problem is now, looking forward, what next? Um, will O'Mara be expelled by Labour? Well, we'll see. There's this natural process of natural justice. I mean, by the time you listen to this podcast, we record this Thursday afternoon, Yeah, events, dear boy, might have changed. Yeah, I mean, he, it doesn't knows? feel like it's over. At you all. reckon? Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of Labour and people, I talked to a Shelley Cabinet person yesterday who said he would just, should just F off out of it. Um, and they felt that he w- he was completely finished. There's no way. They didn't put that on a forum somewhere, did they? <laughs> they, they you know, and th- but they all think, most Labour MPs think he's finished anyway. They point out that, look, if he'd been an amazing MP, if he'd done an amazing maiden speech, if he'd asked really, you know, uh, an acerbic PMQ, then there would have had a bit more goodwill on his side, n- never mind everything else. But from what I'm told, that, that there's very few of his colleagues who actually have much time for him. And now you've got this process of investigation the real problem for Labour is how long its investigations take. Don't forget, Ken Livingstone has been was suspended for more than a year over the original anti-Semitism remarks. He's now facing another investigation. There's something deeply wrong with Labour's investigations process by its NEC disputes panel, which means that it doesn't have the capacity to do these things really quickly. Well, Anne-Marie Morris and the Conservatives, who of course got suspended for saying the N-word, she's still suspended. There's been a yeah. resolution to that. So Labour perhaps aren't the only ones who have to keep these things to the long That's grass. That's sure. You talked about hypocrisy there, and I just want to talk about Laura Pidcock, um, because, I mean, I thought this was frankly astonishing, that she went away on holiday for a couple of days, missed a couple of parliamentary uh, days in Parliament. One of them was a debate on universal credit. She said she didn't realise the debate was going to take place till she went, all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think it's a little bit... I think it's quite bad, actually, because if the, the Labour made such a big play of, uh, of the Tory MP going off to run the line in the Barcelona game, and then the kind of... the figurehead of this new... You know, we're going to hold the Tories to account every moment we get. Oh, my boyfriend bought me a holiday. Sorry, I can't be here. Also, her birthday was in August. Yeah. And as somebody pointed out yesterday, could she not have found a slot in the long summer recess in which to go on holiday? Yeah, apparently it was pre before the election. So what, you can only go to Venice this certain time of year. You can't possibly mm. move it. Yeah, well, I'm not going to get lost to abuse because not everyone loves Laura Pidcock, but I just think that why make why lay yourself open to these claims of property? One yeah. point in her defence, just you know, devil's advocate. We don't. I don't know what her husband or boyfriend does. He's a, a teacher. He's a teacher, which means he'd have to go on holiday in holiday. But times. he could have gone on holiday 
in we'll August. Some research. Sure. And, and so I suppose that's the problem. The problem is that you're right. If you open up this can of worms about saying, you know, you've got to hold the government to account at all times, then even if you've been given permission by the whips to be away, as she was, she was given permission to be away, then it doesn't look good. Yeah, so was the uh, the guy running the yep. line for the Tory party. Yeah. I just, oh, well. Oh, well, there we are. So I had hopes <laughs> and dreams of people to be pure. But but you did a little side note on, uh, on Douglas Ross, the Tory MP, who, who did run the line at the uh, Champions League game to, and avoided the credit, universal credit mm. vote. Um, I'm told that statistically he's in trouble because his majority is smaller than the number of universal credit claimants in his constituency. Wow, that is interesting. It's a oh fun yeah. fact. That's I thought it was going to be a fact about the game. Yeah, so the, like, <laughs> he ran the most amount <laughs> yeah. compared to, I don't know. I'm sure he's a very good linesman. <laughs> yeah, assistant referee. Anyway, before we move on, um, let's just talk about our good friends Tide, who have once again sponsored our episode. Thank you very much for that, Tide. Appreciate that. Uh, as I said, they're, they're basically they're a mobile and web-based banking service, and they help small businesses take care of their accounts with ease. And this is true because uh, I know people who have now used this app, and they say it's very good. And uh, look at the reviews on the old iApp store, and they say lots of good things uh, because as small business owners know, time is money, and anything you can do to free up a little bit of time is a massive bonus. It has lots of tools, automated bookkeeping, so don't worry about doing all of that math stuff, uh, team access, expense management, and invoice assistance. So go to www.tide.co forward slash people, not .co.uk, it's .co forward slash people for more details on how it can help your business. You get approval within like five minutes apparently, so it's much better than like a normal traditional bank. Um, so crack on with it. And we've even got a special offer for you guys who listen to the podcast because we love you very much. Uh, if you go to www.tide.co forward slash people and use a promo code people, you get uh, a free account for the first six months, absolutely free for six months, six months free transfers. Uh, and then after six months, your account becomes pay as you go. So there's no monthly fees to pay. It's very, very easy. So www.kai.co forward slash people. Use a promo code people. Is that good, everyone? Yeah. Free stuff. Free stuff. My favorite free stuff. Again. And we've got loads of free stuff coming up in other weeks. So just stay tuned. And while you're there on the odd iTunes, checking out uh, Tide, lovely people they are. Wonderful. Cheers, Tide. Make sure you give us a little a little five-star rating. And I'm only four stars or three stars, people. Or twos or ones, obviously. I want five stars with nice comments. Right, let's move on, shall we? It was confusion central in Parliament on Wednesday when Brexit Secretary David Davis suggested MPs might not get a vote on the outcome of the negotiation with the EU until, well, after we've left the EU. Here's Labour's Seema Malhotra grilling the Brexit Secretary. And which point do you envisage Parliament having a vote? As soon as possible thereafter. This Parliament, As soon as possible thereafter. As soon as possible thereafter. Yeah. So the vote we, the undertaking we've given the undertaking we've could given could be after March 2019. Oh, it could be. Yeah, it could be. The the uh, it depends when it concludes. I mean, Mr. Barnier, remember, has said he'd like the vote, to. Sorry, the vote of our Parliament, the we, UK Parliament, could be after March 2019. Yes, could be. The 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 thing Which to remember. Which would be sorry. And, and well, it can't it can't come before we have the deal. And it seemed the first Theresa May knew about this was when Stephen Kinnock got to his feet in PMQs. This morning in the Brexit Select Committee, the Secretary of State told us that that vote may not take place until after March 2019. Can the Prime Minister please explain how it's possible to have a meaningful vote on something that's already taken place? 
The confusion led to the bizarre situation where the Brexit department had to issue a statement clarifying what the Brexit secretary had said about Brexit. It tried to reassure MPs that once the deal is agreed, we will meet our long-standing commitment to a vote in both houses, and we expect and intend this to be before the vote in the European Parliament. Well, this morning, Thursday, Davis was hauled before MPs again, where he clarified there would be a meaningful vote on whether to accept the deal or move ahead without one. Paul, WTF is going on. <laughs> well, basically, what's really happening is David Davis is being David Davis. It, when he appeared before that select committee, he was in classic sort of laid back, sort of so laid back, he's horizontal type mode, where he, you know, he's got a certain insouciance with Parliament and so with fellow what? MPs. What's insouciance? What's you, you know, he's, he, he's quite sort of chilled, put it that way. Okay, right. Um, and the problem is that that can sort of tip over in the view of his critics and a certain sort of arrogance and a, a, a bit of thoughtlessness and recklessness about what actually he's saying. And so that's why Seymour Malhotra couldn't quite believe her ears when he basically implied that, look, there may not be a vote on Brexit until after we've it's left. It's really worth coming to our website and watching the clip because she you, literally, you can see on her face her going, did he just, yeah. Yeah, did he just exactly. say that? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, I mean, Ned, yeah. you were watching, weren't and also, you? I want to talk about this idea that the department then kind of, it, there was like, sorry, I can't even talk now. The idea there was a U-turn or anything isn't true. The yeah. statement they put out just said again what he had said. In the committee, David Davis said, I predict or expect that the deal might not be done until the 11th hour, like literally the last minute. He even said it might be into the next day. They might extend it. It might be you know, 72 hours after after the deadline until we get a deal. And he said he expects that to happen because that's how the EU works. So then, of course, later down the line in the committee, he's asked, well, we can't. when do we vote on the deal then? Will it be after we leave? He says, well, yes, because that logically follows. The statement that um, the Pond put out didn't say they'd be guaranteed to have a vote before. It just said, we want to. And we intend to. It was the same for Theresa May as well. Theresa May and PMQ said she was confident there would be a deal in good time. And, and, you know, even the later statement from David Davis' clarification said, you know, he expects and intends it to be done in good time. But there's no guarantee. And that's why MPs today are trying to amend the bill to put into it. There has to be a legal vote before we leave because there's been no guarantee. And that clarification or U-turn was nothing of the sort. But the problem is with the, with the, the vote that is the meaningful vote as it is, if it comes... After we've left, the it's meaning it less. April the first, <laughs> April the second, yeah. whatever. Right, so we've technically left. The choices we're going to have, we the MPs, you either vote for this deal, or you vote to reject the deal. And if you vote to reject the deal, we will leave in the EU on WTO rules. So really, it's not. I mean, the only people who are really going to like this vote are the hard Brexiteers, right? <laughs> yeah. John yeah. Edwards go. This is great. <laughs> well, there could be a really bizarre situation. You're right, where the people who vote against it aren't. It's not Nicky Morgan and no. Stephen Kinnock. It's it's like Bill Cash and, and, and Patterson. And Patterson. Mm. I mean, yeah. Pat McFadden was saying yesterday. Loads of MPs just feel like there's going to be no opportunity whatsoever to do proper scrutiny. That's the former Labour shadow. Former Labour shadow Europe minister. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it just seems like it's another incidence of. David Davis saying stuff, isn't it? Basically, well, no, he loves saying, saying, saying the truth, though, isn't it? And he's in trouble. For and it. the truth Ooh. is that the government's position is: look, we desperately want a deal, but they're not giving these guarantees about a vote in Parliament because they want to keep all their options open. If if it all falls apart, you know, they're not going to box themselves in and, and saying the Parliament will somehow reverse Brexit or stop Brexit in its tracks. That's the last thing. The thing that would guarantee the the downfall of Theresa May is if she in any way hints that Brexit isn't going to happen on on March 29th 2019 
any hint of that whatsoever, even giving Parliament a veto of that, it's toast for her. But isn't the, the truth that for Remainers, there's only two options they can really get out of this vote It's only good. One is, no, this deal's rubbish, go back and start negotiations again. Well, after March 2019, we've left, so you can't do negotiations again. Or two, no, this deal is rubbish, we want to reverse Article 15, want to stay in the EU, which, again, they won't be able to do after March 2019. So really, Well, there's, there's a there's legal not, point about the latter one. Open, On that there? second point, I mean, Dominic Grieve said yesterday, something significant, he said that the government would be open to legal challenge if it didn't have a vote before we leave. Now, I don't know what he's based that on, uh, but I suspect we'll hear a lot more about that in coming weeks. What will they vote on? Well, exactly. I mean, if there's no deal, what do you vote on? You know, I just feel does like someone bring it to Parliament? Yeah. I mean, what happens? And I think that's the that's the bill. that's the problem with all of this. Um, will people like will Tory Remainers like Dominic Grieve actually stick to the guns and insist insist not just recommend but insist that this is written into the bill? And I don't know whether they'll go that far. To be honest, I really don't. It just seems to me that the government is a bit all over the place. But it seems to me that again, the Remainers are still a little bit all over the place because I don't think they quite know. They're looking for little victories everywhere, but they haven't got a big vision for what they what they want. Is that true? Or am I being unfair? Well, th- I think they're not that coordinated. That's for sure. I mean, yeah, Anna Subi stands up in the parliament yes the other day during treasury questions talking about how No Deal was terrible, and Alex said, you know, No Deal was bad for business, but what's even worse for business is the Marxist Labour Party. And I was like, Anna, if you're trying to build Miss, I don't believe in tribal politics, and then she says things like that, and I'm like, what oh, is but this come on, you've got to accept that's part of the game. No, I, I mean, I, I think what, what's doesn't. curious is that I was told a little bird told me that Dominic Grieve, when he first saw the EU withdrawal bill. Uh, and privately, before it was published, uh, told people that he was actually quite happy with it. Then a few hours <laughs> later, a few hours later, he said it was an outrageous offence against democracy, and it should, you know, all these Henry VIII powers are appalling. So, you know, know let's see, let's see whether or not the colour of the Remainer Tory money is is as true as we think it is. Before we move on to the next topic, Kate, I've not heard you hiccup once. No, I think they've gone. Okay, good. Sinister, foolish outrageous just some of the words used to describe a tory whip's request for names of university academics teaching about brexit staunch brexiteer chris heaton harris who's also a government whip wrote to all vice chancellors asking for details of courses that taught about european affairs and details of those teaching them his letter asks if they would be so kind as to give him the names of professors at your establishment who are involved in the teaching of european affairs with particular reference to Brexit. Former Tory party chairman and Oxford University vice-chancellor Lord Patton did not hold back in his criticism. When I heard about it, um, I had to check up that it was true because it seemed to me to be such an extraordinary example of outrageous and foolish behaviour, offensive and sort of idiotic Leninism. Um, And I couldn't believe that this could come from a Conservative MP. I I think he must be an agent of of Mr Corbyn, intent on further increasing the number of young people who want to vote Labour. I mean, it's absolutely disgraceful. Cabinet Minister Andrea Leadsom struggled to see what the fuss was about. I think universities are bastions of free speech and that is a courteous letter asking for some information. There's nothing sinister about it and I would take it in that light. I mean, he's not compelling anybody to do anything. He's asking a question as a Member of Parliament and uh, I personally don't see anything sinister about asking that question. Joining me now is Jasmine Gray, who has been keeping an eye on this story as always. Uh, Jasmine, the Daily Mail today are now asking people to send in examples of these terrible pro 
you know, pro-EU professors at uni. What's this all about? Yeah, if you hear any anti-Brexit bias on campus, get straight onto the Daily Mail, apparently. This is the way to go. Um, yeah, they basically published this quite extraordinary front page article today, um, slamming Remainer universities and anti-Brexit academics. Um, and, I mean unsurprisingly it's caused quite a backlash um i've been speaking to some lecturers this morning um one called it a witch hunt another called it um dog whistle politics at its worst um i think it's people feel quite targeted i think someone said um it feels like a repeat of the enemies of the people front page it's just quite interesting that the daily mail who i can think of about six stories where they've kind of really gone in on students and activists for all these like no platforming things like that things they really really hate um but because it's left-wing or pro-eu um politics or policies they're obviously not keen for them to be shared on campus but isn't a lot of these professors just getting a bit upset about nothing all he did was ask to see their syllabus somewhere i mean i'm sure he could have done it by googling I'm, you know, the way they're going on some of them is as if they're standing in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square saying, thou shalt not look at my bloody coursework proposals. I mean, am well, I being out of order? Um, That's always a possibility. <laughs> I think they would say you're being out of order, yeah. Um, someone, One um, professor was saying to me that actually in the UK, academics are already quite um, imposed upon by politicians. Like we have... Um, teaching excellence frameworks things like that that they said that it's a lot actually a lot more um, imposed than it is in places like america so they see any politicians kind of getting involved even further as a real kind of threat to their like academic freedom really Sorry, some of the lectures are taken to Twitter. Perhaps this MP would like to move to the increasingly illiberal Hungary or Poland, where you could feel much more at home, said Matthew Goodwin. And of course, you can access my recorded lectures. Just enrol and pay the nine grand per year your party deems fair like everyone else, says Dr. Ben Whittam from De Montfort. They are loving this, aren't they, for these lecturers get up on their high horse? Well, I think they've got a point. I mean, you said, look, if he wanted to find out what their syllabus is, he could have Googled it. And he could. They're all publicly available. So that prompts the question, why are you sending the letter? And that's why people got, you know, irritated at least by it. Because they felt that this was a deliberate attempt by a government whip, not an ordinary backbencher, written on, you know, House of Commons notepaper to say, look, you tell me who's teaching what. And it was just really crass. I think that's the problem. And Chris Heaton-Harris, you know, he's normally famous for really lame gags on Twitter. Lamer than my gags. So (laughs) why has he suddenly decided to do this? I mean, obviously he's an arch-Brexiteer. No question about that. I mean, he was a former MEP. We shouldn't forget that. So he he's seen the whites of their eyes, the bureaucrats, as as you might say. Um, and I think the problem is that he was trying to sort of impress his masters by doing this. There's no question about that. And Do you mean Andrew Ledson? Because I think just well, not just <laughs> her. Trigger a light switch that works and be like, Ooh, not magic. just her. But the but there is a problem, as Jasmine quite rightly said, which is the, the, the hypocrisy here. The government keep going on about no platform and how awful it is the National Union students have this no platform policy for far right leaders. And, you know, aren't they scared of these snowflakes? They're scared of free debate. And yet it seems as though the snowflake Brexiteers are really scared of a few lecturers occasionally saying that their opinion about uh, Remain is, is better than Brexit. So it's curious. Add on top of that, the whole government agenda about prevent 
um, which is, is really worrying a lot of universities. And that really is a, a, an attack on free speech, where the government says, on the one hand, you should be having these right-wingers speaking in your parliament, in, in your in your university lecture halls and, and, and debating societies, but you definitely shouldn't discuss the roots of Islamism in any way, because that, that would be illegal and we'd have to report you to the cops. So the government's completely... Um, uh, at odds over what it really does mean by free speech in universities. Do you not think that, you know, we know that university lecturers, for example, they should perhaps have more of a range of books than syllabus, perhaps more books dealing with Brexit and dealing oh, with not more the, rise, Brexit of, the rise of UKIP. I mean, for example, would you like to see, Kate, something like following Farage on the... Oh, where we go. Yeah. Not <laughs> with those <laughs> reviews. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but what, but what do you think, Kate? I mean, do you think this is bone level portion or do you think this is this is the, you know, the, the, will, we, will we look back in 50 years' time when we're under some sort of jackboot regime and go, why didn't we speak up now? Um, I think it's been it's been very very big, hasn't it? But I think it's more around the fact that the letter just shouldn't have been sent. It was just a, st- a bit of a stupid move. Maybe I mean, what are his reasons for doing it? Is well, it a distraction? He's writing a book. Oh well, there we go. He was writing a book about Brexit. <laughs> Didn't know that. But there's a really great gag this morning by shadow leader of the Commons, Valerie Vaz, who says, "Yeah, it, was, it turns out he's writing a book. So really, this is not Lenin. It's Lenin and McCartney because he's a paperback writer. Oh, oh God, it's that good God. gag. The fact that you, I suppose he wrote that himself. I mean, I, I did like, like I did like Phil, Philip Cowley's tweet, which conservative political genius looked at the 2017 election and thought. We really need to start a culture war against universities. <laughs> well, that like. is a very good uh, point. Leads us to this week's quiz. It's called You Cass or You Can't. Oh, that's good. I know. Mm. And I'm going to name a, uh, a... It's got a thumbs up there from yeah. both the sound guys. That's good. <laughs> I'm going to name a a uh, degree course and you've got to tell me whether it's true, You Cass, or I've made it up. You can't. And, yeah, and we'll say you can't with a certain accent. Yeah, and we are, yeah. 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 I'll say it with a northern accent. It's gone a bit out of yeah. <laughs> South Africans coming in. So, uh, brewing and distilling. Is that uh, you cast or you can't? Jasmine. You cast, I reckon. You cast. Yeah, yeah it sounds legit, doesn't it? Uh, I'm going to be controversial and go you can't. Pardon? <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, Ned, what do you think? <laughs> Um, what was a f- what again? <laughs> Brewing and distilling. You cast or you can't. Uh, UCAS. Yeah, it's I was real. definitely paying attention. But it's, it's a, it's a real course. <laughs> Harriet Watt in Edinburgh. It's a Bachelor of Science. Last four years. There you go. Wow, four uh, years. Four, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's a lot of drinking. Anarchy. Yeah. What? Anarchy. Can you, you do, do a degree, degree in, anarchy? in anarchy? I suspect you can't do a degree in anarchy. Can you do a degree in anarchy? Jasmine, I'm going to say you can't, in Owen. I'm going to say you can't do a whole degree in anarchy. You can't do a whole degree mm. in anarchy. Kate Forrester. I'm going to say you cast because I'm an anarchist. <laughs> yeah, all right. Easy. Chill out. Um, you can't. You study it as part of like politics. Yeah, it's it's a whole degree in itself. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. You you can't. Oh, I'm rubbish um, at this. Brexit studies. Ooh, that would be good, wouldn't it? If there was a whole mm. course on Brexit. Is I suspect you can't. course on Brexit? It's too soon. There will be in 10 years' yeah, time. Yeah, I, I don't think. That. I think you can't. <laughs> well said, Jasmine. <laughs> yeah, that's not. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're right. No, there's no Brexit studies. Uh, okay. Uh, ethical hacking. Ooh, a whole degree. A whole degree in hacking, but ethically, Kate. Yes, mm. you can. <laughs> I say you cast. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go for that. Um, to go the other way, I'll say no. You can't. <laughs> Ned. Yeah, I think you can. You can at Coventry, Glasgow, Caledonia, and Aberty. They want to put hacking, will they? Because that sounds really bad. So they have to like make it sound horse psychology. 
You made that up. Horse psychology. I think you can, definitely. Kate thinks you can. You can't. Do you feel three years? Oh. I hope so. Maybe a second career. (laughs) (laughs) We've lost our chance, yeah. The horse whisperer. Yeah, I don't... A whole... Three, four years. How complicated are horses? Well, ask like, Nottingham Trent University. Oh, they are offering the course me. in equestrian psychology. And just finally... That's brilliant. Just finally, uh, baking science. Baking science? Baking science. The science Surely there's lots baking. of courses on that. Yeah. I would say you can. Yeah, if, you if, can. If, yeah. if you've yeah. made that up, that's an offence against Bake Off viewers. Yeah, I reckon. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you so. can. You can do it at London South Bank and lots of others. Uh, there isn't a European disintegration studies, unfortunately, and there isn't uh, pastry studies. So there you <laughs> are. What yeah. isn't there else? I just there isn't there <laughs> lots isn't lots of random podcast things. production and influence studies as well. These are the ones I was going to say, but there isn't them. So there we are. <laughs> that was you cast or you can't, Ned. A classic of the, of the quiz Ned. genre. You can't. A classic. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, anyway, so thanks for listening, everyone. Um, oh, one thing? final oh, thing. Go on. Can Sorry. I just read out a letter from a reader? Oh, God, yeah. We oh, actually yeah. Got this is not oh, an email. This is an actual this letter. This is actual Pen letter. has been put to paper. This is, you know, ha- you know, handwritten letter with a stamp. It's from Scotland. It's from Air, in fact. And it's a Mr. <laughs> J... Well, I think it's a Mr. Yeah, Mr. J.V. Poole, who says, Could you be so kind as to help me out in the following? It's with regards to Huffington Post, Inc. advertising merchandise. Would you happen to have such a thing as a Huffington Post T-shirt in large size, if you do have a spare one? But they also then said, this is quite sweet, he'd quite like one as a quotes, quotes souvenir. Cool. But if you don't have one, I'll have... A, a, a t-shirt if you don't have a t-shirt I'll have a pen quotes pen as but, well and quotes pen in capital letters pen right <laughs> and if you don't have a pen please send me a HuffPost adhesive backed sticker you well, can see send one. Hell. isn't that nice yeah isn't that nice JV Poole I suspect he's a pensioner we have sent those things, and we? we're going to send him loads Mr. Poole we're going to send you a yeah. t-shirt how about that we're going to send Mr. Poole a t-shirt yeah All right, send him a t-shirt Mr. Poole you're getting a t-shirt don't all rush yeah that's what happens if you get a handwritten letter forget these emails and you know if you, if you give us a handwritten letter, handwritten letter, then we'll give you something. To Kappa Street HuffPost. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, what okay. Nice Mark for the attention of Mr. Paul War. I don't <laughs> want to read your really stupid letters. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. A huge thanks to Tide.co for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to check out the fantastic offer they're giving to our listeners at www.tide.co forward slash people and make sure you use the promo code people and make sure you give us lots of nice reviews and we'll see you next week. Okay, bye everyone. 